0: To Deja View, the show where we talk about films and their lasting impacts. I'm Sydney Brumfield. And I'm Therese Kinnard. And today, Therese and I will be continuing our discussion of queer media with the 2015 film Tangerine. Written by Sean Baker and Chris Bergach, Tangerine follows illegal
1: sex workers Cindy and Alexandra as they navigate Cindy's first day back out of
0: jail. And, of course, we know the narrative covers a lot more than that. That's oh, definitely yeah. just the simplest explanation of what happens.
1: Yeah, like, I feel like her getting out of jail isn't even, like, a main...
0: <laughs> it's like every character who sees her for the first time goes, Oh, my God, you're out! And then, like, they that's They never it. talk about it. No, because she's just so on the hunt for, A, first the the girl who has been sleeping with her fiancé, and right. then the second half of the film just trying to track down her fiancé. Right. And this narrative, I feel like, is one that I at least haven't really seen many places before. Mm -hmm. Like, Tangerine is highlighting this community of black trans women in Los Angeles. And, like, the really interesting thing is it's very, like, critically praised for being, like, authentic representation. Uh, And it's written and directed by cisgendered white men. Um, So, like, watching this, when you know that, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, how much of this. Is based on stereotypes. Right. Which I feel like, especially in queer media, that's kind of a lot of what's out there.
1: Yeah. I, I want to know what research he did while making this because uh, it was like praised for its portrayal of black trans women in LA at the time. And like the movie wasn't made too long ago. It was made no. in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. Same year that Pride was made. Wow, so that's interesting. But um, yeah, and it was praised for its portrayal. It wasn't like from a time where like the only people who were writing about queer people happened to be white men, because that's who was making it in screenwriting.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so very interested to hear.
0: Yes. So the research that I did because I was very passionate about, you know, if this is praised as being like one of the most authentic queer films that's out there, right? Like. How much research did this guy do? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what happened was is uh, Baker and Bergosh decided, you know, this was the story they wanted to tell and the perspective. And both of them have done other films like The Florida Project, where Mm -hmm. they're very passionate about, I think, highlighting, like, poverty and impoverished communities in Mm -hmm. America. So I think that was, from what I was reading, the initial route they were taking for telling the story. But they went down to an actual place called Donut Time. Like, it was the actual Donut Time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like it was apparently a real place that sex workers would go and meet up and uh-huh. like get food. So they started speaking to these workers and like listen to their stories and their experiences. And then they went to the LGBTQ center on Macaden, which is in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and that's where they met um, uh, Katana Kiki Rodriguez, who would eventually go on to play Cindy, oh. and then Maya Taylor, who would play the role of Alexandra. Listened to them tell their story and took them out to a Jack in the Box, like like, in (laughs) Los Angeles, and apparently the two had like such insane chemistry. Mm -hmm. Despite like Baker didn't know if they really had a previous relationship or not, like friendship or anything like that. Um, But Baker was like, "This is the story, and these are the two women I'm going to to use to tell this story." Um, So in my opinion, I feel like that's exactly what any (laughs) any like filmmaker going to try and tell a story they're not familiar with should do. Right, Um, absolutely. Especially, you know, when it's not even remotely the world you're a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that's why, you know, like, watching this, it felt very close to these characters. You know, Mm -hmm. at times I don't think it felt like uh, Rodriguez or Taylor were acting in the roles of Alexandra and Cindy. Um, Because it's like there's literally, like, no amount of reading or research or, like, lectures that you can attend that are going to be able to – get across and immerse you in a trans person's experience. Yes, like,
1: you are not going to get the story you need unless you are, you are them, or you have them, like, taking direct part in your story.
0: Right, so I feel like this was definitely the, like, best that Baker and Mm Bergosh could do when telling the story. Um, I think a part of why when people go to watch this film today, that might not be as well known is because this was really only talked about in interviews in the festival circuits when promoting Tangerine. Um, so it's not really something that accompanies the film, That you know, this is actually the story of uh, Rodriguez and Taylor, the, the two actresses in uh-huh. these roles.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I love the Florida Project. Um, I, I didn't know that they did the Florida Project until you told me. Um, And I think the Florida Project is a, like, wonderful representation of, like, a group of people who don't get the spotlight very much. And Mm -hmm. I think, like, you can see that they really care about the people that they're portraying in both that film and in Tangerine. Yeah. Um, Like, there's just a real there's such a real element to it where you can tell that they actually care and that it's not just stereotyping. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really worried about stereotyping going into (laughs) this though. Um, Just based off of like the nature of like trans women's portrayal in films, like I wasn't so sure about how I would feel watching a white man's story.
0: Yeah, well, especially, like, right off the bat when the film starts, they're using a lot of, like, slang and street lingo, and, you know, there's a lot of, like, violence that actually happens in the film, especially right. when Cindy gets to the woman who's been cheating on Yeah, like, when her she fiance. finds, like,
1: Dinah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dana? <Ugh>, Dana? Di- <laughs> Di- Diane? <laughs> <Diana?
0: laughs> that was a really good running bit. Um, and I, I think you're exactly right. They handle that so so well where you know it was with the women who had you know lived this life and it mm-hmm. didn't come across to me like we were talking about in the last episode like trauma dumping or trauma porn at all like especially towards the end of the film when it gets more into like people speaking more derogatorily towards mm-hmm. Cindy and Alexandra or um you know like at the climax of the film when Cindy gets hate-crimed on mm-hmm. you know like the yeah. corner that. Didn't even like it's shocking and jarring, and you're like, "Oh my God, yeah. no, Cindy!" Like, I love you. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, no. But it, the the way in which it's handled felt very much kind of like like aftercare in a way. Does that right. make sense? Like, it's yes. more highlighting what these women go through, especially when women who were involved in in this like industry and and mm-hmm. livelihood are telling the story. Yes. That it it didn't feel exploitative at all, which oh, I yeah. appreciated.
1: Yeah, I I. I talked about this a little bit last episode, but Mm -hmm. I really hate watching essentially trauma porn of like what people go through, especially like queer people, it hits too close to, any trauma porn hits too close to home, but specifically like queer films showing like the terrible, terrible things that can happen. Like, they're very real. We know they exist. I do not really want to see something so, like, violent and vicious. Because I know it happens. And I don't want to watch a movie to escape and Mm -hmm. then be faced with that very real reality. However, it is, there's a balance when putting it into your, like, stories. Because if you want to tell true stories, you do have to show, like, the ugliest parts. Yeah. But... The way that this film handled it was in a way that, like, I didn't feel, um, like, violated, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, like, I have a love-hate relationship with um, portrayal of hate crimes mm-hmm. in movies. But this one, it was, one, it was very fast. Yeah. T- two, it it did, like, aftercare. Like, it, yeah. it felt like everything was okay, afterwards like and you don't feel like I didn't feel like I was watching a horror movie yeah yeah
0: that's that's the key difference and I think there's also the conversation to be had that in media rarely do we see trans characters that are not sex workers or prostitutes I feel like that is predominantly how Um, transgender especially transgender women are portrayed in media when Mm -hmm. they're not in you know this is trans centric like it's it's showing the story but in other media when there's a trans character more often than not they are um a set like a sex worker or an illegal sex worker so you know it something that I was thinking of is is this kind of the representation we should be striving for like should we push for more is it still an important dimension to highlight what do you think of that um I
1: just think like centering black trans women is essential when you're telling stories of trans people when you're telling stories of queer people in general like you need to center black trans women because they they paved the way for the society we have now like they did all the work they set us up and now we have a lot of the privileges of being able to like walk around and be mm-hmm. openly queer because of women c- because of these women yeah but um and a real a very real thing that a lot of trans women have to deal with is being solicited for prostitution
0: mm-hmm.
1: because if they can't get a job because of like harassment or this is what they have to turn to and mm-hmm. um and i i'm kind of, i'm torn about it because like just like how i feel like every like cis queer film that takes place in the 80s has the AIDS AIDS, has the AIDS ex machina (laughs) yeah but it does yeah Yeah. but like and like movies about trans women have the prostitution ex machina (laughs) where like I I'm watching Tangerine and like not even at like the 10 minute mark is it like revealed that they're all sex workers yeah but I feel like like I don't love that a lot of the media we have is is about these trans women being sex workers we should try to escape that narrative and like look for stories that are like different uh because mm-hmm. obviously there's many trans women who don't have to experience prostitution um we should just we should just have more trans stories yeah. um in general yeah. because we don't absolutely um, but I think this movie does it in a good way because it is based off of like real life people mm-hmm. telling their stories and acting in it. So I think it's a little bit different than just like you know like trauma exploitation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm in the same boat where yeah. I just I want more representation, and mm-hmm. I don't really want to, especially because it feels very far and few between in terms of how many. Um, black trans stories we've had since Tangerine has come out. yeah, like I uh-huh. we were researching what films we wanted to pull for the series. And this was really this, and I think Paris burning. Mm-hmm. Um, were really like the main two that highlighted. Black trans women, right? Um, and I kind of want to push for more of that. You know, like this is great. Yes. This is a great authentic film, but mm. we need more. It's been this was it, they made it in twenty fourteen, released in twenty fifteen. It's been what was that like seven years since this yeah. movie came out, a long, which is a long time.
1: <laughs> twenty fourteen was seven years ago.
0: Twenty fourteen was eight years <laughs> no! ago. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's people who were born in 2014 that are now kindergartners. Oh, God. Unless I mixed up the eight. How old oh, are you they're in you second grade. Oh, that's worse. <laughs> oh. Uh,
0: visually, I think, like, stepping aside from more the narrative elements of Tangerine, mm-hmm. I found, because, um, again, I, I had mainly researched uh, narrative elements before going into mm-hmm. viewing this film. So uh, watching this film for the first time... Mm-hmm. I kind of really enjoyed the low budget, like vivid look in all the shots. Mm-hmm. It almost, I feel like, made the story feel more grounded. Right. And like watching it, it felt more authentic in that way. And I just loved that everything just looked so gritty. And yes. I, I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm researching about it after the fact, and I found out they shot it on just like three <laughs> <Yeah>. iPhone 5s's. <laughs> yes. I was like, what? <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh! I was I, I knew the iPhone fun facts okay. before watching the movie. Interesting. Because my roommate, I told her, my infamous roommate. I, t- I mentioned her both episodes. <laughs> I don't know if Erin listens though. Hi Erin. But um, <laughs> uh, she, I told her that I had to watch this movie for this podcast, and um, she was like, "Oh, is that the movie that's filmed on an iPhone?" And I was like. Uh, I don't know. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, it is. Yeah. It is the movie filmed on three iPhones, which is like great. I mean, I really liked the flexibility of it. I really liked the, like, obviously, like the gritty visuals. Mm-hmm. And the color was very, like, rich and yeah. vibrant. Yeah. Um, which, like, the sun sets throughout the film. Like, oh, yeah. It's just, it's beautiful. It's just it beautiful to watch. But, like, uh, sometimes I really could tell that it was an <laughs> iPhone like uh, yeah. uh, it kind of looked some shots looked a little bit like a like a YouTube video like yeah. a YouTube skit and I was like mm. yeah, just like maybe it's the framing cause
0: yeah I think it was especially the scenes that they shot definitely very like avant-garde-esque on the streets where it right. was very clearly nobody else was aware they were shooting a film yeah um, did definitely feel kind of like a YouTube video yeah yeah
1: yeah, like you can tell, like they they got away with uh, filming with iPhones because they uh, didn't have to get like street permits.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they were like there are no legs on the ground. We don't yeah, need a like
1: we don't need a permit for this, <laughs> which I love. I love avant-garde yeah. film, but yeah. um, yeah. Some sometimes the like quality was lacking a little bit. Yeah. But overall, I really did like the stylistic choices they made.
0: Yeah, I so think yeah. stylistically, there was also they. I feel like built suspense and such a really and like tension specifically tension in a really great way with the shots mm-hmm. like i was so anxious in the scene in the bathroom when alexandra is getting ready for her you know like christmas debut right. uh and cindy and Dina dinah
1: yeah D- dana
0: <laughs> diana <laughs> are, are um doing just like crystal meth next to her yeah like that scene stressed me out so so much and i can't explain just because it felt so close and impersonal like in their lives of what they were doing where we just quickly like be on alexandra doing her makeup and then
1: it would like cut to them doing crack like it was a crack pipe Crack pipe. okay yeah.
0: i didn't know if it was crack or crystal see My you're bad. not
1: you're not well-educated on yeah. crack pipes. I used to find crack pipes in my high school. Oh, goodness. Back, like, field. Oh. my high school. Well.
0: <laughs> so I don't, have crack, to, I don't have, have crack, time to, don't I have time to
1: get pipe. into that. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene was very stressful. I felt really bad for Alexandra. Yeah. The whole time she was just like, I don't want any drama. Yeah. And then she got pulled into every single piece, piece of, of drama. drama.
0: But then it's interesting when you find out the end of the film you know alexandra is like i don't want any drama i don't want to deal with it when she had also slept with cindy's fiance you're literally
1: "Mm. ugh Mm. that yeah that's why she didn't want any drama she wanted to come back but um after talking about all these different things all different different scenes of the movie what do you think is your favorite part of the film altogether
0: Altogether, together, I think, honestly, the conclusion was very satisfying to me. Yeah. I think I also enjoyed it the most because it was the fastest-paced portion of the film. Yes. Uh, which, that has much more to do with my personal taste in narrative structure and conflict mm-hmm. than it does any fault of the film. Right. But I, you know, audiences have spent the entire film following Cindy as she mm-hmm. gets out of jail, tracks down D- D- Dinah, then tracks down Chester and then it's peak conflict. You know, Uh Cindy has accomplished everything she wanted to do that day. Yeah. And then it almost it's so jarring because you feel like everything's closed up in a bow. You know, Mm -hmm. they're like standing outside of donut time after they've been thrown out. Uh Uh-huh. And it really felt like, oh, okay, this is like the end of the film. It was the day in the life. And then Chester pulls the rug out from under Cindy really and yeah. says, Oh, this is the this is the girl who told you that I was like cheating yeah. on you. That's so funny because I was sleeping with her too. And you're just like yeah. oh, And you're like, oh, my oh no God Like it felt like I had been like stabbed. I was like, No. Was like, oh. But then the way they handle it in that, you know, they could have had this been an open no-resolution film where, you know, it that's what divides Alexandra and Cindy. But instead, you know, it has them come together in the end in, like, a very beautiful and touching way that I think just highlights, like, the complexities and nuances of their friendships.
1: No, just the end where they're in the laundromat after Cindy gets the the piss thrown on her and they throw all her clothes into the washer and they're just sitting there. She has she doesn't have her wig on, so then Alexandra takes her wig off and gives it to her and they're yeah. just holding hands.
0: It's very beautiful it's and just touching, really and
1: like like they have each other's back no matter what. Like yeah. they might go through some things, they might do some things to each other, but they will always like be there for each other cuz they have the same experience, like yeah. same lived experience that like unites them together
0: yeah
1: and like it's like an unbreakable bond like even if she slept with Chester like they they will put it aside yeah they just have each other and it, it was just very nice I I'm also just a sucker for like this film is just a whole day yeah like the it's just the day in the life of people yeah I just love films like that like uh do the right thing yeah yeah
0: it's so good yeah,
1: me on a podcast uh, saying that I love do the right thing. Everyone's like, "Yeah, we know.
0: We it's love a film do- podcast. We love it too." Do you, this is kind of more of just something I was thinking about. This film takes place on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Do you think this is a Christmas movie?
1: Absolutely, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. I was thinking this while I was watching it when the first time they mentioned it was Christmas Eve. I'm like, oh, I guess I get to watch, watch this, this yearly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, because my own way's rule is because I'm a sucker for capitalist and consumerist Christmas films, <laughs> yeah. that's it. But <laughs> I, uh, my rule of thumb is, you know, like, oh, would the conflict of the film take place if it was not Christmas Eve? And uh-huh. elements of this would not have happened if it wasn't Christmas Eve. Exactly. Like, especially with the, the taxi driver narrative. Yes. Like, that is all reliant on the fact that he chooses to go yeah. spend his time with... with. sex workers, the girls, instead of his family, family on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, But no, that was something I was just curious about your thoughts on, because I was watching this, I was like, this is a Christmas movie. This is way more
1: of a Christmas movie than Die Hard is. Everyone can get mad at me. I don't give, I don't care. Give a toot. I don't give a toot. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) I, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. (sighs) It takes place on Christmas, okay? Tangerine is a Christmas movie, because even though it takes place on Christmas Eve, It is very contingent on the fact that it is Christmas time. I see. I won't get into this. Case in point.
0: But I do think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. But he's flying to see his family for Christmas. He wouldn't be in California if he wasn't going to visit his family for
1: Christmas. Okay, but. If you took that out, if you took that piece <laughs> out, and he was flying to see his family for literally any other reason, it would still work.
0: But they wouldn't be in the building if it wasn't for the holiday party. <gasps> it's okay. Okay, we won't. We won't. It Die Hard it. is not a Christmas <laughs> movie. Okay. All right, we found something that divides us. <laughs> That's important as a show <laughs> we need to establish our different perspectives. Speaking of perspectives, if you had to rate this film, like what would you give it on a scale of one to five? Um, I immediately fell asleep after watching it, so I
1: didn't have time to log it on Letterboxd. However, if I was going to log it on Letterboxd, I would give it probably a three and a half out of out of
0: five. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm in the same boat. I think there were definitely elements that, and a part of this is the way they decided to make this film, right. where I know I'm reading about this, and a lot of the dialogue was improvised by uh-huh. uh, Rodriguez and Taylor, the two actresses playing the, the lead roles, yes. so at times the dialogue felt repetitive, a mm-hmm. bit over the top. Right. Like, heavy-handed, weird yeah. repetition of very, what they were like, like,
1: doing. Yeah, like, on the nose. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: again, that, I think, has to do with how this film was made. Right. But I do think the pacing was slow at times. Yeah. The, the dialogue was heavy. Um. And, again, even though they were shooting on a phone, they maybe could have done some of the shots a little bit differently. Yeah. yeah. The, fr- the
1: framing was just a little bit weird. I wanted yeah. full body shots. And yeah. very rarely did you get them in this film. Unless they
0: were, like, moving. They yeah. were, like, in motion. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, this was yeah. a really great film. I'm really yeah. happy we got
1: to watch it. Yeah, me too. It was a good watch. Yeah. Very good watch.
0: And thank all of you for tuning in and listening. Be sure to tune back in in a couple more weeks to hear Teresa and I discuss more queer media. Bye, queers. <laughs> check out the theithecan.org for more interesting and creative content. You can listen to any of the Ithican podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Or check us out at the theithecan.org. Thank you guys so much. Bye.